Thanks, Rihanna, and good morning, North Lakes. Hopefully, it won't be too much longer and we can be together again face to face. Before I begin, a special shout out to the IT department where I work. The guys promised that they would tune in, and I'm sure you're watching. As the weather starts to turn colder, let me begin with one last story about summer. I grew up in Belmont near Lake Macquarie and spent many happy days fishing or swimming uh, out on the windsurfer um, or out on the old putt 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 timber boat that Dad had bought. Lots of fun, a great place to grow up. One afternoon, I must have been in my late teenage years I guess, a friend invited us out on his ski boat. We had a lovely couple of hours water skiing and as it started to get a little bit darker we thought well it's time to head back in. Right at that moment, the engine conked out. We'd run out of fuel. He didn't have any spare fuel on board. There's no reserve engine, not even any oars to row the boat. All we had was the ski boat and our water skis. So we ended up using the water skis as paddles. Now that's really hard work, paddling a ski boat, because a ski boat is designed to rise above the water and skim across the surface. It's called planing and ski boats don't do so well when they're sinking down into the water and you have to row them. Our old timber putt-putt boat was actually easier to row than this ski boat. So using the paddles as oars, sorry the skis as oars, we took about three hours to get back into the shore and it was well and truly dark by then and friends and family who were waiting at home were worried we didn't have mobile phones and they didn't know where we were and why we were so late. The thing is, the boat wasn't being used for what it was designed to use. And I think that's how life is sometimes, that our lives are not being used in the way that God designed. And as we look at this theme of a new day and a new way, the new way helps us to live our lives in the fashion in which God designed. So when we're putting in a mighty effort and seem to be getting nowhere fast, it could be that we're not living in the new way that God designed and Jesus personally delivered himself. The focus of the new way today, the one that will keep us skimming across the top of the water, is about having the attitude of Christ. And our Bible passage is from Philippians. We'll read this shortly. Paul was the one who wrote this letter of the Bible. And he wrote to the believers in Philippi from jail. He was going through a tough time, and in fact, the church at Philippi was also in the midst of persecution. But in this letter, Paul encourages the Philippians to be united, to live a humble life like Christ, looking out for the needs of others. Now, it's more simple to do these things when life is going well. But the Christian Philippians were being persecuted for their faith. And when the squeeze is on, sometimes we go to our default setting. We don't treat each other well. We don't live our lives as we should. We don't have the right attitudes that we should. and We're not living the way that God designed us to be. It can be unnecessarily hard work, a bit like rowing a ski boat with skis through dark waters. Let's turn to the passage now. It's in 2 Philippians, and I'm reading from chapter 2, verses 2 to 8. Paul writes, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in mind and of, sorry, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And here's the, here's the key part of the passage. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of being a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Wow, isn't that a challenge to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had? Perhaps it seems impossible. How could we possibly do that? But if we explore the passage a little closer, there's some clues in there that can help us. The first is this, that Jesus' attitude of sacrifice came from a position of certainty. The point is that he knew who he was. So your sac sacrificial attitude is countercultural and new in a world where getting something out of life, getting somewhere in life is often the focus. But Jesus wasn't about getting, rather he was about giving. And he could do this because he knew who he was. You see, if you're unsure of who you are, it's more difficult to give away what you have. Here's a simple example. It's hard to give away your last dollar when you don't know where your next one's going to come from. And in a similar way, it's hard to give your life to the service of God and to the service of others if you don't firmly know that the only reason you have your life in the first place is that it's a gift from God. What does the Bible say about who Jesus is? It says that he's the bread of life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth and the life, the head of the church and the son of God. And can you imagine Jesus responding to people who were talking to him saying, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know, I'm the son of God. I'm the bread of life. Who are you talking to? I can't imagine Jesus ever responding that way. He never demanded his rights as the Son of God. He never demanded what he was entitled to or what he thought he may have deserved. In fact, I must admit, I don't like the word deserve. I think it's a bad word because so many times people say they deserve this, I deserve that. And the reality is the only thing we do deserve, and rightly so, is punishment from God. But the Bible tells us that Jesus bore that punishment and he didn't deserve that. So how can we possibly demand what we think we deserve in this life? We have to learn to give up the privileges and the rights we think that we deserve. Our hard-earned money, it's mine. I spent so much time working hard for this. Even our time or our right to speak, I deserve to be heard. Or a place of honour, a reserved car parking spot. All these things we think are our rights and privileges. Jesus gave up everything, everything to serve others. I love the part of that passage we read that says he didn't cling to what he had. Instead of clinging, he released it. But you know, if he had clung to those things that were his rights and his privileges, it would have inhibited his purpose on earth. And it's the same for us. If we cling to what we feel is rightly ours, and what we think we deserve, it will inhibit the work that God wants to do through us. And the reason for that 
is that our focus becomes more on our perceived rights and privileges than the relationship with God. And that's what should be at the centre of what we're doing. So while Jesus set aside his privileges and his rights as the Son of God, he didn't ever give up his relationship with God. He knew who he was. He knew that he and the Father were one. But what about about who we are? What does the Bible say about us? It says, I'm a friend of God. I'm an heir of the Father, a joint heir of the Son. I'm a child of the kingdom. I'm a member of his body. I'm a partaker in his grace that one day will be changed to be like him and that we will see him face to face. When you know who you are in God, you're standing on a firm foundation that enables you to have the attitude of Christ and sacrificially carry out his will. The second thing I notice in the passage is that Jesus had an attitude of obedience. And that attitude of obedience comes from a position of belief. He knew why he was. So he knew who he was and he knew why he was. He knew his mission. He knew the bigger picture. When he was walking those miles on the hot and dusty roads or when he had nowhere to sleep at night and had to lie down just in the dirt there. When he was constantly surrounded by crowds, people pressing in and demanding things of him. When he was with the disciples who were so slow to learn at times and must have been so frustrating. Or when he was misunderstood and uh, in danger of being trapped and captured by the religious leaders. All of those things were nothing compared to the mission that he had. He knew why he was. His mission was his focus. And he knew that he could either surrender to a cause or surrender to the circumstances. And he chose the cause. The cause for him being to seek and save the lost. He said himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come that you might have life. I've come to bring salvation, that your joy may be full. Know your why. Follow your calling. Be it desirable and exciting or plain and unpleasant. Whether you're confident and certain or unsure and timid. Whether you're fully prepared and trained and ready to go or whether you feel like you're starting miles behind the start line. You know, we can find a multitude of reasons to recoil from our mission, or we can take God's hand and we can step forward in faith. Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, is also an example of someone who knew his why. And as he wrote from jail, he knew that his attitude at the beginning of the book of Philippians will affect the effectiveness of what he wrote and the outcome of the book. Did you know that Paul uses the word rejoice six times in this short book of the Bible? And while he was writing in prison, that joy certainly didn't come from a cold jail cell. It came from knowing that he was on God's mission, even in jail. He knew his why. If you're not sure of your why, then start with the intent of being a channel of God's love to those around you and seek to draw other people into the kingdom. And the third thing I noticed about Jesus' attitude from the passage is he had a humble attitude. And his humble attitude came from a position of awareness. 
He knew where he was. The Bible tells us that he left his home with a father in heaven to live a humble life on earth. Do you think he ever spent time wondering about what life was like back in heaven? What the angels had been doing that day? Had he missed out on the heavenly choir practice yet again? No, he was present in the moment. He was fully focused and present in earth. And each and every encounter he had with someone, they were the centre of his attention. His attitude of love and compassion towards those he came to save was pervasive through all that he did. He did not let an opportunity go by. He knew where he was. His attitude towards people are that they are worth redeeming. And as he was surrounded by them so many times, he never lost sight of that. And even Paul in prison, who couldn't fulfill his calling to plant new churches, knew that where he was could give him an advantage. And he spent time writing to the people in Philippi while he was in prison, writing words of encouragement, words that we use even today. He took advantage of where he was, even though it wasn't where he wanted to be. Paul used that location as a platform to accomplish his mission. And we can do the same wherever we are, whoever we're surrounded by, we can use that as a platform to accomplish, accomplish our mission as well. But are you, want to, are you where you want to be in your current life situation? Maybe yes, maybe no. But the bigger question is, in what way can you fulfill God's purpose right where you are? As I conclude, let's reflect. Jesus knew who he was. He knew why he was, and he knew where he was. And all of this resulted in an attitude of humble obedience and sacrifice, an attitude that Paul urges us to have too. Think, how can we have that same attitude in our own lives? Humble obedience and sacrifice. Do you know, the battle for attitude is fought in the mind, and it can be won in the mind. A colleague I work with has a young child and this little girl came out one morning for breakfast with the family and she was sour and she was grumpy and she was discontent with everything and her father simply said you need to go back into your room and change your attitude and don't come out until you've done that. This little girl wandered off, 10 minutes later came back, was happy much more pleasant and cooperative. A six-year-old girl knows that she can change her attitude. It's not something that she's stuck with. And we can do the same. It can be difficult, but Paul leaves us with a clue. If we flip through Philippians to chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. The key words that stand out to me in that passage, fix your thoughts. In chapter 2, he talks about the attitude of Christ. Here he's talking about fix your thoughts. 
And that's where we can change our attitude. He mentions also keep putting into practice. So we have to do it. We have to practice it. We have to keep on keeping on. He talks about things that we've learned. And I think they're the three keys. Keep learning. Learning what are the new ways that God has designed for us. Put them into practice. Fix our thoughts of them, on them. Then the God of peace will be with us. And in this way, we'll rise above the water and skim along the surface as we were designed to do. God bless you.